0: Hey, welcome to the Knowles 24-7 podcast, perhaps the soon-to-be-on-the-bench podcast. I think that's the frontrunner for a new podcast name. We'll see if it actually makes sense. Uh, this is Brendan Sinone. Joining me today, Chris Nee, Josh Newberg. Uh, and for what it's worth, I'm the only person on today's podcast that wasn't on Josh's podcast the other day. Thanks, Josh, for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, somebody's feelings are hurt.
1: Oh, how did I know Brendan's little butt was going to be hurt? Um... Here's what happened. Actually. Um, we're going to try to mix it up. This is only the second recording that we had and we had Chris knee. So I know what happened. Um, we had Kurt Weiler on and also Wayne McGehee. And as you would assume, um, these things aren't well prepped and me and TJ kind of crossed lines during the show. And he said, um, I got the guy from TDO on the show. I assume, I didn't know I thought Kurt Weiler worked for Tomahawk Nation, so I thought Wayne was
2: coming on. He did, trip. and in my life he did.
1: Yeah, right. So anyway, it was just a miscommunication. We had two guys from the Tallahassee Democrat on. Um, that was not the plan, and I didn't want to have you know three guys from Knowles twenty four seven. So we're going to do the third installment of Tribe Talk in August. Um, probably have Jeff Cameron on. Want to get Brendan on. And we'll you know we'll mix up the panel again.
0: So I don't want to be on. I want you to invite me, and I want to be able to say no at this point. I, I, yeah,
1: I, I know you can say
0: no, but then you can also come on. Okay. Yeah, I'm fine with that. That, that seems like a happy medium. All right, guys. So, so anyways, uh, we have a fair amount of Florida State stuff to talk about today, more than I thought we would uh, here in mid-April. So. We're going to go through it as quickly as possible. We have like six or seven topics. Uh, Real quick, please remember, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes to the show. It does help our podcast grow in popularity. Some of you like it growing in popularity. Other of you just want our podcast to burn. So, you know, do what you want to do. Let's start off, Chris. Willie Taggart spoke in Jacksonville as the first of his booster tour stop. Uh, He spoke Jacksonville yesterday. A few quick takeaways. Uh, Let's... Let's start with, the, I think, the most intriguing part. Was he talked about Kendall Bryles and his adaption uh, at Florida State this spring? Dude didn't use a playbook. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. That actually came up in the
2: conversation with the people in attendance, not the media portion. Right. Um, he said that it just is about, you know, he's, he's kind of consistently had the same theme with Kendall Bryles, which is simplifying, not complicating, and making it easy on guys to kind of adapt. And I think the no playbook kind of goes with that. I think it's about making guys live off of their ability and what they do and for them to have absorption of what they're trying to accomplish on the field instead of looking at a sheet, reading a sheet, you know, rep, rep, rep to learn it instead of just read the sheet, read the sheet.
0: Well, one other thing with, with browse too, going into that, uh, that I think we should mention as I wrote something about him, uh, yesterday and Chris, you'll be writing something later today. About Alex Hornerbrook, uh, you're I think the first person from the beat to actually get him on the record talking about Florida State. But one thing Hornerbrook said, and one thing that I've noticed, FSU players currently on the roster talking about with with Kendall Bryles, and that's him being ultra competitive, like to the T. Everyone brings that up when they talk about him. That that it's happened enough times to where like that seems that that's a pretty uh, integrated part of his DNA. Like he's competitive. I think to and Terry said he brings. Uh, I'm trying to think of what exactly he what exact phrasing he said he brings a little swagger to uh, to florida state i think how's that for a white sounding thing i couldn't think of the word swagger uh but he said he brings a little swagger to to florida state so uh, it seems like there's a lot of positive buzz right now with kb and the way he's running the offense we talked about in the spring that'll just look too much better but now you're starting to get more details about what what his actual coaching process looks like and i think that's that's pretty cool
2: yeah hornenbrook uh hit on that you know, first he said he's a great guy, but secondly, the second thing I noticed is that he loves football and he's competitive. Another thing he brought up is he's a king of adaptation. I asked him, you know, obviously people have a perception of what a quarterback in a Kenilworth system is supposed to look like. Alex doesn't exactly look like that perception. I think for most, and he said, well, he's had different guys. He's had, you know, RG three, Bryce Petty is the two names he mentioned, and others. Talked about how if they can run, they run, and if they're a drop back passers, they drop back and they pass. So he kind of, you know, talked about how Kendall impresses him in that way. But it was clear that Kendall weighed heavily into his decision to come here, that he felt very at ease with the man and thought that he could definitely make him a better football player.
0: And you guys can check out the Hornibrook Q&A. That'll be up later today. It actually may be up by the time you're listening to the podcast. Uh, So please make sure to go and give that a a full read because it's pretty extensive. And and again, I think this is the first time any of you will be hearing about Hornibrook and him talking about FSU specifically, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, real quick other things that Taggart spoke about uh, the health status of Landon Dickerson and Cole Minshew Minshew is the first time he revealed that he had neck surgery uh, I, that was new to me I thought he would, would have been I it was perpetually either ankles or concussions. so he had surgery on the neck that's why he was out for the spring they expect him back by the time fall camp starts uh, with Landon Dickerson they had him do some individual drills we'd reported that it was mo- mostly just maintenance and rest for him though they kind of know what Landon is at this point they don't want to Put any more mileage on him uh, with with the ankle being what it is.
2: Yeah, with Minshew, he's previously just referred to it as, I believe, a uh, procedure mm-hmm. was what was said before yesterday. And with Dickerson, it's a matter of they know who he is. They, it's he's a guy that's not held up very well. He's not been durable. Whether that's his fault or not, doesn't matter. It's just it's a case. So they weren't going to run out there in spring and worry about him getting banged up. But he did mention in general in the spring, they came out very clean, very healthy, which was a big positive.
0: All right. So those are the main parts of of Taggart's first stop in Jacksonville. We had uh, we had Travis there for us. Our photographer was there uh, recording it and getting audio. And Bob Ferrante uh, Ferrante sent us some audio as well. So appreciate those guys helping us out. Uh, tough for Chris and I to travel this week. Uh, now we're going to get Josh engaged because I know the the attention is already probably wavering. Josh, you with us?
1: (laughs) I'm here, man. You guys are great. You guys killed that first segment. I'm just waiting on my shot. Thanks, guys.
2: When we're going to bring you in, Josh, I'm going to treat you like you did me on the podcast. Yeah, and, I, and now we have Josh Newberg with Knowles247.com.
0: Oh, very, uh, very formal. That's yeah, weird. he
2: just kept saying Chris Knee over and over. And I, I don't know what it is, but when you say first and last name together, it's like Don't, about yelling don't you think him. there's some
1: people that you call like by their first name or yes! last name? And then there's some people that you call them by both. Like, OK, here's a great example. Tom Loy. I've never once called Tom, Tom. just Tom.
2: It's yeah, that, Tom that's Lloyd. a fair point. I had a good friend growing up that we always called him by his first and last name, and he's literally one of my best friends, and we still do that to this day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like
1: Chris Knee, it's kind of the same. It's like two syllables, Chris Knee, Tom Lloyd. I, I, I think that uh, I call I probably call you Chris Knee more than I call you Chris. Oh, uh, he's yeah. definitely Knee to me. He's Knee. And actually, on that podcast, I realized that I was saying your first and last name, so then I started saying other people's first and last
0: names. I mean, that's what a host does. You have to reintroduce (laughs) you. You can't assume that your audience knows who every single person is. Did they, uh, you know what one name they didn't hear was? uh, Brendan Brendan uh, Sonone. There's a lot of of names. We talked about it. (laughs) All right. Anyways, enough plugging that podcast. Hot
1: cast. (laughs) As Karen would call it.
0: Uh, Yeah. all right, FSU still waiting on Jordan Travis's waiver. Uh, that's something that we got into a little bit this week on the website. What do you think, guys? Are uh, you confident that gets resolved at this point, Josh? I'll, I'll yeah, ask. I mean, no inside intel, but just
1: you, the reason there is no inside intel, because anybody that claims they have inside intel is lying to you, because it's all within the NCAA at this point. But and I the think, ACC. And the ACC. So we've seen enough precedent at this point for me to believe that Jordan Travis will get the waiver. But I can see plenty of reason for doubt knowing that the ACC conspiracy theories and NCAA conspiracy and all that kind of stuff against FSU. But just with the way that we've seen the offensive go I or the off season go, I think there's more uh, optimism for this waiver to go through.
2: One thing I asked somebody and they didn't have a good answer for it was uh, how often does the ACC – the group that has to decide for the ACC meet to make this decision. They didn't actually know. That's something I'm still trying to research and trying to find. Right. That may be some of what's complicating this. If they only meet, you know, say once a quarter, and this topic didn't truly come to their attention until the first quarter, but they want to investigate it further or wait for the NCAA ruling, that may be some of what's complicating it. But I just, for whatever reason in my head, every time we talk about waiver with FSU now, I think of the old classic black and white movie, Reefer Madness, and it says just waiver madness, and you can slap whoever you need to on the cover of it. So it could be, you know, David Kelly or Jordan Travis. I don't know why that's just the point I'm at with waivers with FSU, but I don't see how in this off season and the current climate of college football, especially at that position, that he's not granted a waiver. He left the school that had a toxic toxic environment with a coach that departed. Now, one thing that may hurt him in that regard. Is that he left prior to the coach actually being dismissed? I yeah, mean, I think that's I think probably being by about two weeks.
0: But even that's—I mean—then you're, you're playing semantics and how stupid is that? Yes. I, and
2: I understand if, that. If Tate Martell and Justin Fields are getting transfer waivers, right. so should Jordan.
0: And Travis. he's moving literally closer to home too. Like I think that's important part of the equation. Uh, the, the part that you guys both mentioned that, that complicates a little bit is it's interconference, yeah. uh, it, uh, it, interdivision. Like, in fact, and and that was something that I guess I hadn't thought of, but. I have it. I, I saw it on the Roto World yesterday. That uh, was it. Keandre Jones is transferring from is a linebacker from Ohio State to Maryland, and that process is dragging on a little bit too. Again, that's interconference. So yeah. I, I, that's something that I think uh, was was some that. We all overlooked maybe initially, but that's become clear in the in recent days that that could be part of what what the holdup is right now.
2: And I'm sure FSU is leaning on some of their in-house con- counsel to help deal with this situation. But I don't think it would hurt if Jordan Travis also had legal counsel. I know that in some of the other instances of pursuing waivers with the NCA this year, it seems to be expedited when there's a little more legality. Uh, I
0: don't move. know if we know whether he does or doesn't. Right. Have well, legal that's counsel. true. I'm Just speaking speaking for I clarity. For sure. Yeah.
2: But I don't. I don't. It's not been put out there that
0: he is. So are we gonna correct? Or so? We're Josh is leaning towards yes. Probably going to get the waiver, Chris.
2: I would. This is so reckless. The, I guessing. would think so with the climate that yeah he would. And yeah,
1: and I I would just be very surprised if they turned it down. Uh, it, it just based off the Tate Martell transfer. You take the Justin Fields, and you know there's there's some some reasons behind it, but the Tate Martell was purely, um, a play. You know, like a free agency move. Um, so. That didn't seem to to get much thought by the NCAA. It passed fairly quickly. Um, I think Jordan Travis. One of the reasons why we're seeing this drag on a little bit is because FSU didn't appeal right away. Like he, he, they didn't appeal as soon as he got on campus. I believe it was sometime in January. So we're still only a couple months out from that waiver. And and yeah, the the ACC aspect of it gets tricky. Do they try to you know? exert their power on these transfer rules within conference but my my instincts say that this one goes
2: through yeah and when you're dealing with the ncaa it's the king of inconsistency they they will two situations that are eerily similar they will rule completely differently so it's it's tough to you know try to throw two darts and hit the bullseye two times in a row with that group they're just they're not that way that's not how they operate
0: yeah i'm gonna go ahead and say no it doesn't happen just because it makes too much sense for it to happen so Look but, at you. Coin You're food. being a resident pessimist. Oh, yeah. Um, real quick, Wyatt Rector, who's going to be a, an incoming transfer and a walk-on, at least initially, he's been accepted into FSU. He'll enroll in, on May
2: 13th. Yeah, that's the day Alex so so, enrolls.
0: Okay, so that makes sense. as the start of a semester, seemingly, but um, for him, that's significant because, one, uh, I don't know why it was – Controversial to, to write that he was accepted, but he wasn't enrolled in a school last year, and they or, in this, or sorry, this past semester after leaving Western Michigan, so it wasn't like a slam dunk, and make sure credits and stuff matched up, and that it was going to happen. But he's good to go, and and what's more important is that now you know when he can start his appeal process
2: his case is built on the guy who recruited him left immediately upon his arrival at western within
0: within days or weeks i believe he was a position coach uh slash recruiting coach i i need to find out the name and look at that so that way i can give you guys more clarity but that's what it's going to partially be and again a guy moving closer to home too like that i think usually only helps um when when you go from out of state to in state so yeah, we'll we'll see uh, again. I don't know ever. I know that the family is confident. I think it's pretty open and shut, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything, as we've said before with the NCAA. Um, all right. Next. Oh, here, here, here we go. I'm going down a list. We're actually fairly organized today. All right. So uh, something else that was slightly controversial and I'll start with you, Josh, but FSU did a Game of Thrones tweet. An edit, if you will, uh, with James Blackman and and Marvin Wilson sitting on the throne as Ned Stark, but the things that kept Ned Stark's hair in the image, and it just looked really weird. I got a bunch of text messages when that happened. Uh, one was from someone saying, "Can they just go one week without doing something <laughs> stupid?" Uh, and uh, that's a little harsh, but stop I will tweeting say- tweets. And they delete. So they ended up deleting that tweet within the hour I wrote on it. It pissed off a good chunk of our reader. I don't say good chunk. There's at least 10 or so people that were not happy about it. My point is after a while, it's not just writing about one silly thing that happened on Twitter. It's a it's a common theme of of whether it's FSU's football Twitter account or the recruiting account. It's run by different people. These are supposed to be the windows to the program. And you're aiming towards a certain audience. FSU fans, recruits, and when you keep missing the mark over and over again, that makes me wonder, w- what are you doing? <laughs> what, what, that's your, your entire setup. So Josh, I'll, I'll give it to you because I know you've been vocal about this before. I, I just think it's something that's worth talking about because it's about the branding of Florida State, and the branding right now I think is is inconsistent from, from week to week. Yes. What, what are you asking me? Exactly. What do you think of the social presence and general. what do you think
1: of this one? I think it's an embarrassment for FSU fans, FSU alumni. Um, you have this recruiting world now that's also overlaps into social media. And really the recruiting game itself is now played on social media. And I, and I don't just mean from a, a media perspective, like from us, like, I mean, the kids play the game there, the coaches play the game there. It is now, um, the main platform where you know recruiting takes place almost right there in the open so that is a direct representation of your university Um, a lot of programs put time and energy into this facet of their football office um, just as you would prepare yourself to go hit the road if you're a coach you know you get your shirt tucked in you got your slacks tightened up and you, you know your shoes shine you're ready to go hit the road there's no reason why social media shouldn't be the same. Um, there's a lot of great accounts out there that, that have been recognized um, for years on end. Clemson being one of them. UF has really stepped their game up in the last two years on social media. And it seems like FSU has only slid backwards. And for a long time um, under Willie Taggart, there were some whispers that this was going on. I didn't really listen to a lot of it. Then it started creeping into like some of our group chats and some. And it just was getting pointed out through links being sent to me and then i noticed the fact that tweets were then being deleted instagram posts were being deleted and it showed that like fsu was putting stuff out there that for one reason or another they decided to take back and take down (laughs) but that only looks worse in this new age of social media because everybody has screenshots fsu fans have screenshots the rivals fans have screenshots the media has screenshots so now you're taking down things and you're admitting mistakes and you continue to do it. And it's, it's just become an ongoing joke. And it is the offseason. There's a lot less to talk about now. So little mistakes like this can get nitpicked. Um, and I think it's to the point now, especially after the offensive MLK uh, graphic and then this Game of Thrones one, which just was, was not very well done which is why it was deleted. I mean, some of the FSU players were on there like Marvin Wilson saying, I had nothing to do with this. Like he quoted it and had, you know, said, I have nothing to do with this. Cam Akers was making fun of it. So you see it, you see it being talked about openly by FSU players too. Um, I just think it's something that would be so easy to fix is why maybe we're giving it the attention because it seems like it is something that's so easy to fix. There's guys like K camp and others in the FSU market that have gone on twitter and said that they would they would do this willingly you know and probably not have to pay these guys as much as you're paying these other people but um you know it's just it's a it's a minor storyline of the off season for sure
2: i don't care all that much to be truthful about it like i it just whatever i'm i'm getting into that middle aged group of screw social media i'm turning into jimbo sadly. but you can still but understand society. it's important but so. i do have Two thoughts on it. One, I think that the current people doing it need to lay low for a while and let some of the fans, the flames go down. You know, let it, let the fire burn itself out. Work at your craft, come back, do a better job. And secondly, it's a return on investment deal for me. If you're paying people to do this, and it's something that I'm sure you could hire some people on the cheap for to do, because there are a lot of talented people out there, as Josh alluded to then like the adult needs to step in and either point out, do your job correctly and do it at a higher level a better quality and conduct yourself in the correct manner or go hire somebody who's better at doing this. I,
0: I think that's part of the issue too. is not just that there's, the MLK thing, and that was not—that was separate from the FSU football account. But the MLK one
2: of, debacle... One of the people doing this, we need to remember, second week of the season when the fans were rabid on Twitter was telling fans not to come to games.
0: Well, that's what I was going to say. If you're going to be in on the social media edit game and you're going to use that to promote the brand of Florida State football, and how many followers does that FSU football account 400,000. So it's a window into your program. If you're going to be in on investing in it, and, and I think that makes sense, too, because it is something that's clearly important to at least some of uh, right
2: engagements matter. And yeah. You're going to get a lot from really good stuff. But here's the issue. You're also going to get a lot from really screwed up stuff.
0: Yeah. And and you're not going to make everyone happy while you're doing it. But if you are going to be in on this game and you are going to be investing in this certain aspect of marketing, which, again, I think we all agree makes sense. Uh, you got to. Forget the misses, like a, like the Game of Thrones thing. That's it's a that's a minor blip.
2: But the M L K thing made what Wall Street Journal.
0: Yeah, the M L K thing was a debacle, and then that puts everything else under the microscope. Right. After, but then the you f- go forward. Flames are fanned. Correct, and then and the yeah and the and the fans are pissed. Um, and you go before that, as you alluded to, Chris, early on in the season when things weren't going well, the social media account became a way of almost attacking fans or telling people. And if it wasn't on. The actual fsu football account it was through the person who's doing it uh their personal account which i guess you can say that but it's a state employee that's telling fans to either one not come to games or two blanketing fans and i know there's some vile terrible people out there and call them out fine that's your prerogative um, but there are times where you can't put it blanket everyone in one category especially when you're paid by the state to represent the university well, and and I just I think that's been inconsistent, yep. and and that's why I think I wrote that stupid bolt on it because it was just another matter of misusing something that should be an important tool for this program to be in a better spot.
2: Do we all agree on that? Is that fair? Yeah, I just think yeah, of course. Return on investment, ROI, baby.
0: All right. With, with
2: that RPO word. and ROI, if FSU can do those two things better, this thing this thing will go all the way a lot better. <laughs> yeah, and I'll be. I'll, and
1: I'll admit, like social media is a lot easier to run for a program that's winning 10, 12 games and competing right. for the playoffs. Like it's easier to run social media at that time. So um, these are tough times on and off the field for FSU.
0: Yeah. And you're going to you're going to, you're going to take creative chances. You're going to miss that's fine. It's, it's the entire body of work that when you look at it all together, yeah. Yeah. It's (laughs) uneasy. All right. So take a quick, we're going to take a quick break, hear a word from our sponsors return, and then we're just going to go super, super duper fast because Josh has somewhere to go. So be back in a second.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news,
0: All right, we're back. The magic of editing. That was really smooth. I like the transition. Good job, guys. This is the first time all three of us have been together since the spring game, or at least together and like on the podcast. We've talked since then. Um, So I want to get your thoughts, Josh and Chris. We're going to go rapid fire here uh, on the entire spring, and it's going to be basically like a confidence meter. Like, Are you more or less confident with each position group after the spring, after the spring game, based on what you've heard, what you've seen, et cetera, all right, et cetera? All right, so I'm going to start with you, Chris. Quarterback, more or less confident? More. Josh? DeAndre's gone, I'm more confident. All right, I like it. I am too. Running
1: back? More. More confident than when? Like before? I'm I'm less confident in running back than I was last year at this time, but I'm...
0: No, I I made it clear. as You did going into the spring. Did I not say that? I'm more confident seeing layboard back. So I'm more confident in the unit. (laughs) Yeah, same here. LeBorn looking good, I think, is is positive. All
2: right, wide receivers, Chris. More because the younger guys are starting to show some signs of stepping up.
0: Josh, you're not knowing there's a pattern. Chris is going for no. I know. So- I was. I'm
1: thinking. I was going to say I'm not. I, I wanted to see a little bit more out of the young wide receivers. I want to see more from Trayshawn Harrison too. I'm. 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 I didn't move at all on the wide.
0: Group. But that's fair i'm i'm more confident because dj matthews look like he grew up a little bit i think yeah. that's important uh, i think you have three guys Keyshawn helton uh dj matthews Tamar and terry that you know what you're going to get out of them
2: you know how you know dj grew up they took him to Jacksonville last night for that booster tour
0: you have glitter on your face chris where were you last <laughs> night early this, <laughs> this is weird uh tight end uh chris uh it's tight it doesn't matter. In this Are
1: time. we more or no. less confident that the tight end unit is actually going to participate in this offense? Yeah. I mean,
2: I, I guess I'm the same Cam stepped up and I was impressive to see like It's tight. end, man.
0: All, right, all right. All right. <laughs> all right. All right. All uh, right. Whatever. Offensive line. I, I'm no
2: more or less confident than I was. I've got a tackle issue. Josh.
1: No, no more or less until i see it on the field i'm also just because also we didn't you know they they're missing brian burns out there it might be an easier defensive line to block
0: I, I, real I, quick I, a peek behind the curtain here josh said before we did they said we'll do this we'll do this fast we'll do this fast and it keeps getting hung up on him even though he knows the position that's coming
2: i feel like we need trey Rowland to just come in right now and just wail like cry <laughs> <the other line. laughs> that's the best part of podcasting? and i was when Myself or to Sean or Wayne or any of us on the group, not Brendan, because he wasn't.
0: Because right. I wasn't invited um, again.
2: But when any of us basically were critical or just said, you know, the line still got a You guys were just honest. Was like, right?
1: <laughs> I mean, Trey was speaking for every FSU fan out there when he heard Wayne or Chris dropping some truth on the offensive line. It was just it was painful for him to sit on and listen to. But, yeah, I'm sorry, Brendan. I, I was short with my answers, but long with my thoughts.
2: With the L line, if you need to know, just look at what Willie said last night in Jacksonville.
0: What did he What did he say for the? We don't have it right in front of I, you. Do you want me well, to? The
2: exact quote, do you, you want me to? Seen, stall? Essentially, it was uh, we need some guys to come in here to help us get the best group we can get out there. And it was when he was asked uh, specifically about the tackle position, he praised Chaz Neal as developing and coming along, and that he's got it's taken a big step forward since the end of last year. But then he immediately transitioned to we need guys to come in and help us. I think Ryan Roberts is one of those and a guy we're going to talk about later in this podcast. Drew
0: Richmond, I think is another one. Good tease, I'm proud of you. Um, I'm going to say more uh, more confident because I think the interior of the interior of the offensive line there's a semblance of you can work with some things there. Like we didn't know if baby on Johnson could snap going into the spring. We know that now. We knew they were going to get more help in the offseason, they were still aiming to get more help at tackle uh brady scott looks like a competent swing player who can play a couple of different positions at at least an adequate respectable maybe below average level but given where we were starting from like there was a chance that the offensive line wasn't going to be better than it was last season yeah. somehow
2: because they're no, losing a lot another thing taggart said along those lines is the depth is better yeah if we have an injury we we know we probably have somebody that can actually step in and fill that spot instead of trying to do smoke and mirrors and move guys around so I think that is a positive, but I just can't jump on the positive bandwagon with DL line until I see them actually block it up.
0: Uh, I agree. I'm just saying I could feel a little bit better about it now than I did going into the spring and still admit that there's a ton of questions and, and reason for ambivalence. Anyways, moving on. Lightning round. Defensive ends, edge rushers, whatever you want to call them now in uh, this new hybrid scheme that they're I'm doing. Pretty, I'm um, concerned. Josh is concerned. I'm, I'm, I am I'm. feel worse about it exiting this spring than I did going into it.
2: Yeah, I'm less confident. I need to, like, come on for Joshua Kane down for him to be a dominant being. J-Rob, too.
0: Yeah. And that's something that we've talked about that needs to happen.
2: And we uh, also don't we can't uh, afford
1: to have Xavier Peters become the next Matthew Thomas.
0: Yeah, where he's suspended and such. Right. Yeah, just uh, endlessly. That's a good point, Josh. Interior of the defensive line. I, I feel I can, good.
2: Do you feel good? Yeah, I love Durden. I love Marvin Wilson. I think Coop plays a good role. I think there's some other bodies in there that can help. So, yeah, I feel like that's a strength of the defense.
0: I feel a little less confident because I kind of expected all those guys to be good, and I was hoping that there would be a fourth defensive lineman to step up. I'm not sure that we exit the spring with that uh, as a clear cut. Like, this is your other rotational piece. It may be true Thompson, but you need to practice a lot in the spring. Uh, so I'm a slightly less confident, but I was bullish on them going in. So it's not like I think they're going to be bad. Uh, linebackers? I'm definitely more confident, thanks to Jaleel McRae, and
2: I think the two other reinforcements coming in, Kaylin Deloge and Kevon Glenn, are going to be nice additions, and Emmett Rice getting healthy will be a nice addition. I do think Leonard Warner, who I still view as a linebacker, you know, he's playing that edge rusher position.
0: He's a um, defensive end now. I
2: think that that fits his strength more, so I think that position's figured some things out, and it's better as a whole.
1: Joshua? I'm a little bit in that. I'm, I'm, no, I shouldn't say that. I'm cautiously uh, feeling better about them. The, my only concern is in game situations, we saw them get bullied due to size. Um, we know these guys are instinctually better. Uh, we know that they're, they're, they can all run pretty well. We saw that, especially out of Julio McRae. My only concern will be that physicality at the line and whether or not they can stop the run
0: be much more confident with this line like, or this deep, or Jesus this linebacking core much more confident because okay. the depth is better. Uh, the athleticism is better. It, it's just going to be better. It's not gonna be a weakness this year. Uh, it may not be a strength, but I don't think it's going to be something that just hinders your entire scheme going forward. So I, Julian McCray, if Emmett Rice gets healthy, Hampson, Astral Dean moving there makes sense. Like it, it'll be better. Uh, defensive backfield, Chris,
2: I, I like the group. I, I'm pretty confident. I think Akeem Dent is fitting in very well as a safety type. I think LT is in a more natural position for himself. They're real solid at the two cornerback spots, in my opinion. You know, I, I think they remedied some of the issues there in that filled last year. If Cyrus Fagan can bounce back and have confidence and play at a much higher level than he did a year ago, I think that group is much much better.
1: I'm. I feel like FSU has a lot of great pieces back there. But I'm concerned about the secondary due to the pass rush. In this day and age of football, with the rules that they put on these DBs, if you get four or five seconds to throw the ball, somebody's going to be open. So I'm not concerned about the talent or even the depth, per se. I'm just concerned about
2: getting to the, getting to the quarterback. Yeah, I them. think that's a good point by Josh. I, I'm looking at it as a talent of that group by itself. but he's the talent as, is there. The, as the 11 of them running out there trying to accomplish
0: something together. That is a concern. Well, true to form, Chris, you followed the script and played the game correctly. Josh went into the whole big picture, which is not what we were Uh, talking about.
1: But also there's been some confusion on the back end. You know what I guess what I'm saying is I like the talent that they got back there. There's just some other things that we like. I hope that the production backs up the talent is what I'm saying.
0: Uh, that makes sense. I mean, they were talented last year and they didn't perform very well in the secondary. Part of that was, I mean, they had Brian Burns with the pass rush, but the linebackers couldn't cover last it year. Were, that it was detrimental.
2: Kind
1: of also reminds me a little bit of Derwin James, like my lasting image of Derwin, those last final games on the field with FSU were like him with his hands up being confused. And I think we, at times we saw some of that, you know, when they, when they would get beat down the middle of the field, especially it was guys pointing at each other on who had what assignment and um, I just hope that we get that clear, cleaned up because the talent is there. We saw that from Akeem Dent. We know Lavonte Taylor's got it. Uh, Sa- Stanford Samuels. This is a talented group. They just got to put it together.
0: And don't forget, we didn't see much of Jaden Lars Woodby. Uh, the staff right. feels very, very, very confident that he's a bright guy. They're not worried about what he can do at safety, even though he didn't play most of the spring. Well, he recovered from the shoulder injury. Guys, they gave up 30 passing touchdowns last season. Ooh. They're not going to give up that many again. I don't. Think, this two and a half per Yeah, so I, I'm more confident with them going in or leaving the spring than I was going in. So all right, we all caught up there. Now following up Chris's tease from earlier, his A plus. I mean, just like a veteran radio show tease. Uh, there's a there's a grad transfer on the market on the offensive line, and it's obviously an important position based on uh, what we already went over with the offensive line. I'm going to kick this over to you, Josh, Drew Richmond. Uh, you had a good scoop on him. It was VIP. Uh, so it's a good opportunity to remind people to subscribe, not just to the podcast, but to Noles 24-7 because uh, we'll have information like that throughout the offseason before anywhere else you can get it exclusively at 24 24 seven. So Josh, go ahead and and pimp your article out. You can say it. I dropped that insider heat this morning, Brendan. He did.
1: Um, No, I've been, we've been digging on Richmond a little bit this month. Chris had a story um, about a week ago. I followed up, talked to two separate sources to find out that FSU is absolutely in it for him. Um, One source that's a good Juco contact that I know uh, deals a lot in transfers and whatnot feels that FSU is going to be his destination. Um, I spoke also to a source within the program that told me that the staff is absolutely, uh, recruiting the kid hard ever since he's, he's kind of quiet. He's kind of to himself. So it wasn't really until his visit on March 29th that FSU and him really struck it up. And since then, since he left campus, FSU has been on him hard, um, expressing their need to, to, for offensive depth and possibly even a starting role. Um, obviously they'd want him to come in and start, but, um, they're recruiting him. And it's also down to USC and FSU. He's going to go to NC State this weekend, we think. Um, We have not directly confirmed that. So if he doesn't make it to NC State, that's just a better sign for FSU. I think then it comes down to FSU or Southern Cal. And from what I'm hearing, a decision could come in the next two weeks. So we expect this to be his final visit if he takes it to NC State this weekend.
2: The way Taggart spoke yesterday in Jacksonville about needing pieces on the offensive line led me to think that he believes they are getting another one in addition to Ryan Roberts. They have a plan. I, I took that to be Drew Richmond. So my
1: thoughts on Drew Richmond and, you know, it's one thing to report on what's happening. I, I report on that factually. Um, and then my opinion, you know, talking to people within the Tennessee program, talking to some others, uh, it sounds like Drew Richmond is really just Tennessee's Jawan Williams. Um, he played in all 12 games last year on a very bad offensive line for Tennessee. He's a guy that's goes six foot four, six, five, 310 pounds. Looks the part was a former five-star recruit and just hasn't really done a damn thing in four years at Tennessee. Um, I think, you know, Tennessee fans would probably feel the same way. FSU fans, anybody, but Jawan Williams will be happy with, they probably are, are saying the same thing with Drew Richmond. That being said, I still think this is a good move for FSU because they have the roster spot. He's not going to be there more than a year. Maybe you catch lightning in a bottle where it, it takes a change of scenery uh, and Drew Richmond finally catches on and, and plays to you know what his potential was coming out of high school. Maybe that happens. But if it doesn't, I mean, at least FSU is going down swinging.
2: I can't compare anybody on earth to Jawan Williams. Chris's body language. When Josh said Jawan Williams. The worst starting offensive lineman in America. Last.
1: No, but you know how FSU fans, they, they say, who's going to be the starter? Just tell me anybody
2: but Jawan Williams. Right. If, no, if, I, I agree with that assertion.
1: Tennessee but, fans are probably saying the same. They're saying the cool. same thing about Drew Richmond. So I, it's like, I you think know, that they're Robin Peter to pay Paul. It's too bad offensive lineman and. You know, we're going to trade one for the other in hopes that a change of scenery is what kickstarts his career.
0: It reminds yeah. me of a few years ago, they're cross referencing sports here. The Orlando Magic traded Richard Lewis and got Gilbert Arenas instead. It's just exchanging one bad contract for another. Yeah, uh, that's I,
1: essentially what this is. I, but, I was,
0: like Tennessee, yeah. like I was talking to someone who has a good idea of, of how things operate with Tennessee and, and, they were trying to convince me that Tennessee's offensive line was worse than Florida State's. No, yeah. no, it, it, no I think quantifiably, no. I think the Florida State's is. You, you is were obviously talking worse. to somebody that did
1: not watch a Florida State game <laughs> last year.
0: Well, but that, but that that being my point though is in the microcosm of your own, like the team you you're around, like they thought the offensive line was atrocious. Mm-hmm. Drew Richmond leaving was explained to me, saying that like, Tennessee, given the problems they had across the offensive line, not just with him at tackle, if they wanted to have drew richmond like he'd still be on the roster right now that the matter of it is it, he's serviceable i think more serviceable than than the guy josh mentioned on fsu's roster uh, but this was someone who didn't want to compete with a couple of blue chip offensive linemen coming in Uh, who are true freshmen. I think that's probably telling. Pruitt also made it
1: very clear that once these guys entered the portal, they were, they were, you know, they were gone. Their scholarships were not going to be renewed. I guess that's the option that the teams have when a kid's in the portal. Don't mention
0: transfer portal on this podcast.
2: (laughs) Drew Richmond was not Jeremy Pruitt's dude, nor the O-line coach that's currently at Tennessee. And the other thing I heard about him was that he sort of felt like he was a punching bag for all of their misgivings up front that, you know, because Tennessee's O-line was awful. It was all Drew Richmond's fault. Which, and he did play in 12 games. I mean, but He's huh. the only one that started every game for Tennessee on the offensive line last year. Yeah. And that's not to say he's good because that's the case. It's just that it's clear as hell that they have a lot of issues up front. I mean, them and F is are swimming in the same pool.
1: Yeah, and I haven't seen – we said there might be a second season of transfer portal names after the spring. Um, not all spring games are completed yet. But it's not like we've seen a big rush to the portal like we did after the season. So Drew Richmond is one of the only offensive tackles available right now that might have the ability to come in and make an impact. So um, all that we've said about him, I still like the fact that FSU is trying to get better any way that they can. And this is the this is the only route that they can go right now. Yep. So Good good talk.
0: All right. Good. Good stuff, Josh and Chris. Brendan, spring eval period coming up here for uh, for coaches. Chris, It's not coming up. It's, it's here. here. Is yeah. it? When did it start?
2: Tax Day, April
0: fifteenth. That was yesterday. Yes, no, or two Monday. days ago. That was Monday. The days are all blending together for me at this point in the off season. All right. So what what's the goal? What are they trying to accomplish? And what are the parameters that are set in this in this time frame?
2: It runs from April fifteenth to May thirty first. Schools are allowed one hundred sixty eight evaluation days. Now, each time a coach sees somebody, that counts as one. So don't think of it as truly 168 days. Think of it as individual meetings. It excludes Sundays as well as Memorial Day, which falls within that period. For FSU, they won't hit the road until next week. That's because Florida and Georgia high schools don't start before at least next week. They'll get out. They'll see guys early. Usually that's considered an academic visit. They get transcripts and such, but they might drop into a practice or a weightlifting session see the kid. They can't really talk to them. And then usually they'll return for a late spring practice or a spring game slash jamboree type. They're allowed to see kids twice during the period. For FSU, the the purpose this year for FSU is to evaluate some new targets, to evaluate some guys that they like but they're not sure they love, like a Sage Ennis, for example. They want to see how he is at blocking because he didn't do it very much last year at Lincoln because they had another tight end who's going to UNC who did it a lot. So they want to see a guy like that, how he does with something of that sort. That's like the missing link to them offering him versus where they currently stand with him. And for guys that are existing targets that they like a lot, it's about reinforcing that they like them, making sure they're seen, kind of gauging where the kid stands as they exit the spring, going into the summer, taking potential summer visits, trying to set up who they're going to get on campus in June for those camps, and then at the end of July for their event.
0: All right, that's good stuff. I think that's helpful.
1: Um, I think the I'll just chime in real quick. Uh, one thing that I am looking for during the spring eval period is is really two things. One is the first week. Who do they go see? That's a, usually a good indicator of uh, you know who are the priority prospects that they want to get out and see see first. And secondly, um, I want to see who emerges as the is the second QB in this group. Who is FSU going to target? Um, I think they've taken it a little bit slow right now until they get to the spring so that they can go out and Bryles and some of the other offensive uh, assistants can lay their eyes on some of these kids. Um, I'm just eager to see who it is, see who emerges. And also how much time do they spend in California this year? Last year we spent, we sent a lot of coaches to California to return with zero. I, I'm willing to bet we don't see the same strategy this year. I just wonder if they even take any trips to California.
2: Yeah, maybe go out and see Saville Smalls because you are still in not even though you're fading to a degree, and make a quick rundown through California. But you can't be investing a day of travel, a day of visits, a day of travel back, losing three days. It doesn't And
1: they're flying commercial, and there was times where they got delight- delayed. So you're going to California to see two kids. You're ending up spending 48 hours there. Do you know how many kids you could see
2: in Georgia and Florida in those 48 hours? Yeah, blanket Florida, blanket Georgia, blanket Alabama, dip mm-hmm. in a little bit to Louisiana, maybe to Carolinas, send Odell and company up to the Virginia DMV, DMV area. And that that's your footprint right now. That's what you recruit. You're non-national recruiting team. Right now, you're an area recruiting team that needs to hit on some A's and some Bs.
1: Yeah, I, I, the way it's gone so far, I'm willing to bet that they've acknowledged that. Um, it'll just be interesting in general to see how much time they put into some of these some of these fringe states that they haven't been doing too well in the last two seasons. Two they, may,
2: they may dip their nose a bit into Texas, too, with of Braz and Randy Clements. They've extended a lot of offers in that state in multiple classes. And, and Fry had already started classes. that to an extent.
1: He had gotten the ball rolling. In Texas, a little bit. He spent a a good amount of time there in January, too. So,
0: that's one thing we've been told is that they're going to come back to Florida and Georgia, reemphasize that. We were told that when they first came here, too, that was what they were going to do, and they got away from that very quickly. But uh, returning to your roots, especially when those roots are two of the best states in the entire country, if not the two best states to recruit in, makes a lot of sense. So, I'm hopeful that. I'm hopeful that we'll see them stick regionally, locally this year.
2: You're five and seven. You need to recruit the kids that can make day trips to your school, not kids that have to hop on planes and cross the country to see your school.
0: Right. Yeah. I agree. All right. So anything else with recruiting stuff before we wrap up?
2: No, I think we're in a good spot. Joshua?
1: No, I think uh, you know this week is a little bit slow, and then it'll ramp back up next week when the coaches hit the road.
0: All right, cool. Well, Josh, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast. Thanks for the invite onto your podcast. <laughs> Christopher Nee, thank you, as always. Everyone, thanks for listening. Please remember, well, have someone else ask to rate, review, subscribe, because they don't like me.
2: You literally just said rate, review, and subscribe. That's all I'm going to say. Five stars, not four, not three, not two, and definitely not one, because I don't need Sinone calling me and crying. <laughs> Five stars. <laughs> Five stars.
1: Now people are going to all rate it
2: one. they like, exactly. <laughs> well, just so Chris us. gets Chris, those calls. Don't rate us one star. Just go downvote Sunone on
0: the message board. There
2: Take you. it out that way. No. Yep, let's drop that man to an 89.